Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast. I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Jacob Eiding. Say hello. Hi. Hi, David. Hi, Jacob. Our guest today is Faye Keegan, co-founder and CTO of Dipsy. Part technology company and part story studio, Dipsy is the first audio platform for women's sexual wellness. Prior to founding Dipsy, Faye spent time at Neighborly as a software engineer and Bridgewater as an investment associate. With a background in economics and investment analysis, Faye isn't your typical startup CEO. Welcome to the podcast, Faye. We're really looking forward to chatting today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, I do want to kick things off with just a a quick overview. You don't have to go into a lot of detail, but I don't know that a lot of our listeners would be super familiar with Dipsy. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the the founding and and, uh, how it came to be and how how you came to be CEO, CTO. Totally. Totally. Um, No, me and my co-founder, we launched in market two years and a month ago, almost exactly today. So it's been a pretty wild ride since then and seeing (laughs) Dipsy go from just an idea that Gene and I couldn't stop talking about to what it is today, um, both in terms of our team and our customers. So it's been a pretty wild, I guess, 25 months um, since Dipsy's founding. Uh, yeah, months that feel like years, I'm sure. Uh, I know. I would say that every three months, it's a new company. Like, I don't know. What grew three months into this one feels good. Probably time for a huge shift. Yeah. So did you uh, did you know Gina from beforehand or how did you guys come to the idea or, or come to the, just something out of, you were at a bar one time having a drink discussing this or like, yeah, where does, uh, where, where, where did the idea come from? Yeah. So uh, we were friends where we were co-founders. I think we're still friends. I think we're friends. And co-founders. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. I, Miguel's probably going to listen to this, my co-founder, but we, you get beyond friends. You're like, no, it's, it's more something than friends. Else. It's like yeah. a type of life partnership that is yeah. truly uh, unparalleled. It's like I wake I up in the morning that. and text her good morning and text her good night. Like we are in touch um, yeah. for sure. Uh, no. So that's awesome. She was, um, she grew up with my roommate in San Francisco who I went to college with. So kind of like just standard friend stuff. Um, just kind of the people you meet when you move to a new city. So I knew her since I moved to SF, which was, I guess, seven years ago now. And we were just buds and, uh, it really began as something that we both wanted. That's how the the idea of Dipsy began of, wow, it seems pretty crazy. There's not like erotica out there for us. And when we went and talked to our friends, maybe they had recommendations for, a vibrator or like this great vegan lube or whatever, like a physical product space, this great educational resource. That seems like a lot of like great companies doing awesome stuff there. But it came to content that really like inspired, um, that turned you on. Uh, it was like, ooh, I think there was this Tumblr thing, but it got taken down. And like, <laughs> I have this one book and I have like read the same chapter a bit of has since I was 12. Like, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you what it is or like, hey, maybe there's this link but I don't really want to share it with you because like the other 54 thumbnails there, like are really going to freak you out. So I think <laughs> um, there just seemed like this huge dearth of content made for us, both in terms of format, brand, topics, uh, all the things that we sort of wanted out of something for us. And that's sort of like, hey, where is it? Combined with, I think, a lot of really interesting trends in the market. So, you know, romance is by far the highest selling genre of literature. It like trumps everything else. It's like why bookstores are open. That's true. Costs like ebooks, audiobooks, regular books. It's romance. Like that's what you're looking at. Fifty Shades is the top three best selling books of the last decade, like one, two, and three. So that combined with 
this explosion of audio um, and people really thinking as like an audio first format, a short format approach. And then companies like Headspace and Calm who were doing something actually really similar with different use case of like using audio to shift mood and moment. Um, and for most women, typically women, of course, it's true across gender spectrum. It's way more question of brain than body. It's not like, I wish I had a better vibrator. It's like, I'm not in the mood um, to be sexual myself with my partner, whatever it is. So how could we leverage this like growing market research, our desire for the product um, and really inspired by companies that were using audio as that mental mood shift from like, I can't sleep, I can, how can we apply those learnings to this space? So that's kind of like a lot of things, but you really started out across like a couple of bottles of wine at the kitchen table yeah. many months at a time. <laughs> and our friends being like, please stop talking about this and start this company. I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> well, so I was, I was going to my next, I mean, I, I was, I'm always on this beat about um, mobile devices and softwares being more intimate in this case, like very much the literal meaning of that. Totally. Um, so did you come to seeing what Calm and Headspace are doing? You were like, this has to be a mobile app or did you, did you think about the form? I'm sure you thought about it, but how did you arrive at building a mobile app as, as your first, your first product? Yeah, I think for our use case, audio specifically is really, really effective. It allows you to leverage your imagination. You get around a lot of the challenges with visual content in the space, um, both like policy-wise or yeah. whatever, but also um, just the product use case itself. People want to imagine themselves in that story and not get hung up on those physical aspects. And with something like voice and soundscapes, you actually set kind of like a stage for someone to imagine their own fantasy, which is much more how women um, tend to tap into that side of themselves. But I think then beyond that, I think having to be like a really premium experience, have it be like accessible on your phone, have it be something you can hear in your ear pods, like all that makes it so tight and alive and uh, transformative and immersive. Um, and I mean, description as well was just like exploding space. People getting so much more used to consuming like premium media on their phones and, and paying for it. Did you have that go to market in mind before you, before you even chose the, that kind of was all, all there before, before you wrote a line of code or? No, I think probably, I mean, it really began with just the concept of the content. And the first thing we sort of proved out was, does this content work? And so we made the first six ourselves. We got our friends uh, to act and bootstrap the production. Um, and once we sort of proved out, hey, first of all, this stuff could work and hey, maybe we can make this stuff work, um, that we might invite people to do it. Then I think the rest fell into place. Of like, what does the app look like? What is the business model? Right. Um, and this really felt like just the right space uh, for us to be in. And of course, riding some of the other trends in consumer sub and, and audio um, at the same time. Yeah. So, so you raised the, uh, five point, this is all public, I think, but $5.5 yes. <laughs> million initial round. I don't see a, I don't know what we call it these days, but, right. uh, Called a fat seed, I think. A fat so. seed, big <laughs> seed back, I guess, pretty early in the journey then it was, it was, uh, last year sometime or yeah, no, so two, we, maybe two years ago now. Yeah, no, we, we closed that round right before we launched just on the basis of we were doing, we had like a beta. We had a lot of really solid traction. And I think one of the things that really sang then too was the shareability of this product um, that a lot of people were worried like, Hey, will people talk about this? Hey, will people pay for this. And we could like instantly knock those things out of the park um, in terms of our customers wanted to talk to their friends about it, you know, their sisters about yeah. it uh, or sh like share what we were doing more broadly. Um, and also willing to pay with something that was actually premium in a space. That's like, littered with bad content. I, I guess uh, I was kind of curious about sort of the order of like what, 
what did you do? Because you have a, Let me do first. You know, a, a background in financing or finance, yeah. which I don't. So I was like super, I didn't know anything about venture at all. So maybe you had like a bit of an edge. <laughs> always, like, did, did you have like product out or did you know like, okay, we're going to go raise and like just build a prototype and, and, and that'll be enough? No, I mean, I had a background in finance, but not necessarily a background did like financing my own company. Sure. <laughs> I think there's like, there's definitely like new challenges always. There's only one way to figure that out, right? I know you only get so many attempts in your life at doing that. I think um, the first one's going well so far. Uh, I think the thing that my like economics background mostly informed about my willingness to take this leap from just making money as a software engineer at tech startups, which is also pretty fun, was kind of the market validation. So I think that probably is like the place that came into play the most where I was like, okay, I kind of believe in a lot of the psychological research around female desire. We read a lot of stuff about that. I might um, sort of feel like I want this product, but the thing that like kind of made me feel like, all right, let's go do this thing was all the money going into romance, all the market validation yeah. around audio. It's like, I had no question the market was huge. Yeah. Um, and then of course, like, can you make the product that works for that market is like another challenge. But I sort of, that's sort of allowed me, it's like almost the macro thing that allowed me to make that leap versus like the micro of financing the company, which I was just figuring out from the, for the first time when I was doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's sometimes with subscriptions and, and consumer stuff, it can be so much, so hits driven and things like this. And sometimes I think honestly, I mean, this is not just uh, informing your, your experience, informing my opinion on this, but sometimes there can be an advantage tactically to raising before you're in market because like, maybe you don't get that product market fit right away. Like sometimes no, what's, for sure. what's inside the box is like, if the box is closed, is a little more enticing to investors. And like <laughs> yeah. once, once you start having numbers and things, cause you will have things to figure out. Like you won't nail it on your first try. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure you encountered challenges and, and stumbling blocks uh, along the way. Totally. I think that's, that's totally right. I think there's like pros and cons to both and you can always, I know what I did and it worked out, <laughs> but I don't know if it could have worked out differently if I gotten it later or less money or more money sure. or whatever it yeah. is. The other thing that I think I bring a lot more to the table from like being an investment researcher is more just like the analytics of our content. Um, and I do all that in house. And so like, we'll be bring to the tables, not only like the brand and the content, but also like the deep research about the content and sort of um, try to engineer hits as much as possible within our platform um, and grow those things from like a data-driven, but also like, of course, a deeply intimate, personal, artistic perspective is sort of, I think, where we really shine. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think I kind of want to ask you a little bit about that. Like you have all this content in the app. And one thing that we've noticed talking to a few different apps is so many of our, of these subscription apps are content apps. Like that's kind of totally. been the, it was, let's build apps, then suddenly like let's add subscriptions. And then we all kind of, we realized this at Elevate really kind of late in the game is like, actually we're a content company. And so realizing that really early is interesting. So how, how do you think about like building content library, how much to build, what content is hitting? Like, what's that process for you? Yeah, it's a great question. There's like, internally, we sort of track North Star metrics along the content and they're kind of things that you would maybe guess. Um, and again, these things are only that are possible because it's like a verticalized, verticalized content approach because our stuff's like not available on Spotify, not available on Apple Podcasts. Like we get complete content analytics. Like where is the drop-off? Um, what is the repeat listen? Like what content is really good for conversion? What content is really good for retention? Mm. And so we have like North Star metrics like completion, usage, listen, starts, popularity, favoriting, uh, the sort of things that you'd expect. And we can kind of like super score those um, is what I call it, which is like, you mash these up in a way that makes sense with the kind of content you're looking at. And then the other like layer on top of that is for who, you know, I think within 
any product. There are segments within our product. There are definitely lots of segments that have very specific preferences. We can't suit everyone. One of the biggest challenges in our space is balancing breadth and depth. Um, And it's kind of the things that you'd think of like straight versus queer versus flex, you know, like people yeah. who consume across I mean, the I think spectrum. it's one thing that Tumblr was probably kind of good at, right? Because you could have all these like silos of, of totally. different content. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you're in like a UGC platform, um, you don't have to worry about breadth, right? Or depth because you have people making lots of content. We make you know, 12 pieces a month right now. And so how to allocate those spots across those segments is a really, really big challenge. And you're balancing, of course, a lot of different things throughout what to do. How do you specifically analyze, you said kind of some of the content's better for retention, some of it's better for conversion. Um, that's a huge thing that I talk to a lot of developers about in my office hours and in my own apps. I, I, I build subscription apps myself. Is figuring out like what, what are the features that you want to put behind the paywall that are those like retention drivers? And then what's the content or features that bring people in and give them enough of, it's like strong enough on the retention side and, totally. and compelling enough. So I'm curious, like you seem, you seem to like say that in a very kind of definitive manner. So I'm wondering like how, how you've experimented with that, how you determine that. And then ha- have you run those kind of experiments? Like we put this content in front of the paywall, we put this content behind the paywall and look at how people interact or, or how, how are you analyzing that? I think probably like there's example of like how much should be free is one question. Like how many pieces should be free and then what should those be? Right. And I think also a good question to that could be none. Uh, a good answer to that could be none. That maybe it's just push people into free trial. They can get seven days free. They can get 30 days free to work through your business. And that's the only path into hearing the content. We've sort of played around with it. I've like we've tested, but some of the stuff is hard to get super scientific about because there's tons of different factors there. Like, yeah. If you had a big acquisition month for a certain channel, that can like blow through your experiment right, yeah. and make it look really different um, or like a really big press hit in the middle or you also experience a price hit at the same time. I mean, there's like tons of things there, but we've kind of landed on that like five-ish free is about right um, for now. Uh, and if you increase that significantly, you mostly just reduce conversion hmm. for us, for us in our space what we know right now, uh, many caveats there, but there's no use to a paywall if people don't hit it. Right. You, you yeah. kind of have to put it somewhere where they're going to run into it. Is it that the five free, um, you allow like unlimited listens of those five. And so if you gave 10, they had enough kind of breadth and depth to, to re-listen to as many of those as they enjoyed, or do you actually also limit the number of listens for each of those? Yeah, I mean, the why of it is obviously a bit more hypothesis than science. I think it's more that if you limit, if you limit the possible paths in the free experience to the ones you think are the highest value, you're probably going to do the best. And if you reduce the amount of choice there as well, that's again, just like my psychological take on it. Yeah. But if I put like my five most popular, most likely to hit for you stories out there versus adding three that work for you know, some people, but those people are like, it's just, you're adding a lot more decision fatigue for people and a lot more chances they find something they don't like. Cause they don't, they aren't familiar with the product, with the characters, with the terminology to describe. So if I can like limit the amount of options to like the fewest number of highest probability happy pass, that's probably the way to go about it. Um, but I think the real thing there is not necessarily like what's free. It's about getting people into that unlimited trial as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, because really where we shine is not these five selected stories that like generally have hit for the last 12 months for most users. Like that's a pretty good guess. Um, 
but giving people like, here's 400 stories. Here's all the things we have to offer. Here's like the tools you can use to like find what you want and listen as much as you want this week. Like that's where you're really going to hit and shine as a product. If you have the content to support it. Yeah, that's great. I kind of want to, I kind of want to slightly pivot and ask like with this type of content, I know we've, I've worked with you personally on experiences with, with, with the app stores. And have you run into like issues or friction being kind of on this line of like, is it, I don't know, it's, you know, when you see it definition or like yep. how, how have they treated uh, this, the, this, this product in the, in the walled gardens? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's been, well, we'll start like with this. I think culture is much farther ahead here that media and media is much farther ahead here than like commerce. And they're probably much farther ahead than like the average VC. Um, so I think that like across <laughs> those spectrum of um, comfort with these topics of thinking about sexual health, as part of your overall health and well-being, about having, you know, pleasure and rest be connected, this kind of like rich understanding of sexual self-care, and especially how women um, are both like growing in this way and spending money in these spaces is generally nascent um I sure think, yeah in depending first time we've on talked spectrum. about it on first time we talked about it on some club that's <laughs> yeah sure. no i know but it's out there you know um so i think one thing that's been a real like boon for dipsy from the beginning is that within the world of content people actually like institutions are pretty comfortable with highly explicit content if it's narrative uh so like think about what you see on game of thrones like there's an hbo app mm, like it's right. 18 plus but like that's pretty highly explicit. I mean, I would say like in many ways, much more explicit, much like it's yeah. visual. And I, I would, I would maybe uh, contest the term narrative with some of the uses. Yes, okay, <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm not sure how much the plot was driven forward yeah. in many of those. Um, and that's a good example. There was a, there was kind of a, a little blow up in the kind of um, Apple spheres around certain apps getting rejected, and then Showtime has like, like, totally. extra, like porn, like X-rated content and hey, they're yeah, I know. live on the app store. <laughs> so like the content side of things, that, that is an interesting framing. And, and I think it's appropriate for the app stores to think about it in that light is if they're going to allow showtime, like this is obviously in that line and, but better. Yeah. And I think the app stores is just one version of an institutional barrier companies in this space have. So I said, like, we've been like live on the app store since we launched. We like advertise on Facebook and Instagram and Snap and like all those things. But for many companies who are in our, like who are adjacent to our space, like that's impossible. And I think a lot of the way that these companies arbitrate it and look, they have a really tough job, Like they have a really tough job at understanding, like they want to protect their users that make sure everything on here is like ethically produced and has positive intent. And, of, of, you know, beyond that has like a premium brand or whatever. Um, but what ends up happening is random policymakers, these companies are arbitrating on the intent of your content, um, arbitrating on what's the balance of sex to non-sex in general on the product. And that's kind mm, of the way they have yes. to make it. You know, like if you just put the sex into Game of Thrones and do app, that probably wouldn't be allowed. But hey, if it's mixed with other stuff, then it's okay. Or if it's if the intent is entertainment versus the intent is to, is, you know, sexual arousal, then that's not okay. And like, they're trying to do their best. They're applying a purposefully gray policy to an extreme, like arbitrarily to a very complicated and nascent space. So there definitely are a lot of challenges along the way. I wonder how much friction was created. Didn't it? Steve Jobs was like famous. Like this is one thing. Is that we're not going to have porn on the app store, right? I wonder how much of right. just that alone set this industry back, <laughs> right? Totally. And I think like, you know, I think 
all these companies have policies that say things like, you know, it when you see it, because they want to be able to have discretion on what's right. on there. And like, I get that. Um, it's really hard to codify what is or isn't okay in these spaces um, and to be the arbiter of like what's ethically or ethically produced. Luckily, like we've mostly been able to get across a lot of those barriers with some brief hiccups along the way. And that's because we can reach out and communicate, but not every company has that has that avenue available to them. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that, yeah, you've discovered through direct contact, but, but I think one thing, if you've been in the app space long enough, you learn that these policies are fluid and that a couple of things you learn if press does, <laughs> the press does matter. <laughs> these totally. things are a little bit fluid. Sometimes they move. And like you said, like we talk about Apple all the time and as, as this sometimes benevolent big creature, sometimes this like uh, sometimes this like this frustration, but at the end of the day, it's people making hard decisions based on you know their their own goals, and that we always want to treat them treat treat the organization with empathy and yeah, try to work around it, try to figure it out, totally, try, to, totally. try to help. And there are, there are lots of people inside of those organizations too that that do want to help. Um, so it's 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 good to hear. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's sort of allowed us to cross over those barriers has been having a really like high bar for quality, a high bar for ethically produced content. There's definitely things that we don't do on our app that we don't think are safe um, forms of erotic content for us to be making. Um, even though it's down to the way we make it, like our like all of our actors are recorded separately and mixed together. It's a very like personal, safe experience when you're acting for a tipsy. And so from like the top to the bottom, we have both like, you know, value guidelines and business guidelines as to how we create our content, uh, which I think also allows us to sort of be in these spaces. That was a great opportunity for me to dive into a rant on Apple's antitrust <laughs> issues, but I'm going to refrain. And I, mm -hmm. I do want to throw us back towards wait till, um, wait, till uh, wait till they come out with a Apple Erotica Plus, and now you have to, uh, <laughs> fight then against the first them. party. <laughs> Probably a decade out though, so I wouldn't worry about it. We've had a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of opportunity on Subclub to talk about my frustrations with Apple and their anti-competitive behaviors. But back to like the the tech side of things, I, I, I did want to learn more about, so, you know, when you and your friend decided you were going to do this, you kind of piloted the content, take me through going from there to like your tech stack. Like, did, did you use Flutter or a cross-platform solution? Like, tell me about the, like the building experience from like, here we have an idea. We've proven that the content is meaningful. Now we got to build an app and like get to market and, and figure all that kind of stuff out. So I'd like to dive into some of of how you built it and and what your tech stack looks like. Yeah, um, for sure. I think, you know, we're, uh, for some tech startups, like they're inventing technology, like Revenue Cat, you guys are like building new technology to serve other technology. Like at Dipsy, like if we're building technology to serve audio files in a mobile app, like we've gone so far afield <laughs> of like our edge in this space, like that doesn't make any sense. Like there are so many great solutions out there. So like the number one rule I have for like tech stack is like, you pr if you're building it from scratch, like you probably haven't Googled it, you know, like I, especially <laughs> in our space. Um, because I think there's so many great tools out there. And so that's kind of the way that I've built it from the beginning. Um, leveraging great tools like Revenue Cat. Hey, that's our ad. <laughs> I was going to say the line where you said, like, if you build it, you probably didn't Google it. I mean, that's yeah. going to be the pull quote. <laughs> the it's like, I was like, great. I never, ever want to write more than 20 lines of code for scripture management ever. How can I do that? I don't want to write more than 20 lines of code for authentication. Like, oh my yeah. God. 
nobody write authentication code anymore. Like you crazy people, like freaking Google it. Who are you using for authentication? Speaking of. Um, no. So we use Firebase, which is amazing. I'm also yeah. a huge fan of that. Firebase and RevCat, actual, like, you know, I, I don't have stickers on my computer, but like those would be the two. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you one. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I think because they provide like top to bottom solutions for tons of the same kind of problems that like you're going to hit as a mobile yeah. app. Like, if you hook up Firebase, great. I have off off the shelf. Okay. You also have crash analytics off the shelf. Okay. You also have like basic eventing for yeah. free. You also, oh, hey, it connects immediately to BigQuery. That's great. So you could use some SQL query. It's like, okay, now you solved like their first 12 months of text problems, like done. Yeah. And I think that that's like the crucial. Some companies out there, I'm sure, are building new technology. The majority of consumer apps, consumer subscription apps, like you're not building technology. You're building a great product and a great experience. You just spend your engineering time on things that matter. Uh, and those things that matter are not an original approach to authentication. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Incorrect. <laughs> so that's kind of the guiding principles and some of the answers to your question about tech tech. When your edge lives between start and stop, right? Your edge is the content, right? So like, how can we get that to market? as fast as possible. I'm sure there will be yeah. stuff that comes up for like- Like things come up, like audio streaming, stuff. things yeah. that are tough. And I mean, all those things we sort of have to solve. Um, and there's definitely things we have to like drop a thing of code and solve. And there's not like nothing we do here. And we have engineers and we do work on stuff <laughs> for sure. Um, but I think generally it's about leveraging really great tools that offload your engineering time into the stuff where you have an edge as a company. How quickly did y'all pull things together to launch the app? And did you launch multi-platform from the very beginning? Mm, we started with just iOS. I'm trying to think. We, from start to finish on the app, like first line of code to launch, I'll say six months, five months. Wow. That's um, it, to do. There was less features then than there are now. Yeah, I don't think we yeah. could do it. In six, we couldn't go to now in six months, but I think if you want to, you know, an app that allows you to buy a subscription, listen to sound and authenticate, you should be able to do that in six months. Probably. Yeah. As, Sounds about uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, yeah. Like, uh, uh, like you said, like these, I mean, this is this exact problem that you're talking about. This like, oh, you probably didn't Google it or whatever. I mean, this is why we started Revenue Cat as a company. I like it was the exact same position spending weight. We did have our own authentication system. At oh, LA, and trust come me, on. I agree come with on. that. I agree. Well, <laughs> It was a case of having too many engineers. I mean, no offense, mm. a lot of them are my friends, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, we didn't have a whole lot to do some at, at, at various points. And so it was like, well, let's build this, right? And so mm -hmm. I think it's really smart. And I think that's, you know, we think about other CTOs or people thinking about laying the technical foundations for your company. I think it's really clear-minded to think like that because... Yeah, you, what is going to be your and this goes beyond mobile subscriptions, but there's going to be one thing your company does that's different from every other company. And that's the thing that you should put all your energy into. And then everything else just like solve for as quickly as possible that doesn't that doesn't compromise the ability to achieve the one thing. Yeah, totally. I think there is, of course, along the way, there'll be problems that you have to solve that, that you no one has. You can't just Google solution for that is custom enough that you have to put engineering time towards that's like really tough and tricky and is significant, like distinct to your particular problem. But especially for your first product you put into market, you should probably minimize some of those things as possible because um, it's just a matter of getting people, you know, do they like it? Um, get it in their hands. And from there, like the learning curve yeah. when something's in market is totally different. It's like a totally different universe than the learning curve of you and your friends talking about it. It's like, it's not yeah. comparable. I mean, you, have, you have no no information if it's just you. Actually, I think it's it's it takes you in reverse. Like if you're looking at the same piece of work too long, like your your brain gets like, 
over or desensitized to it. When we launched Revenue Cat as like a very like limited API, we had no customers. And so like we made the the now smart decision that we just kind of stopped development until we had customers. We I, I spent a lot of time blogging and doing a bunch of other like associated right. things, but didn't do a ton of product development until we had like a critical mass of feedback. Then we started, picked up again. It was probably like a three or four month period usually a little bit faster cycles on consumer side because you mm. get data a bit quicker. But I'm curious, like one thing in my experience at, at Elevate that was a little bit of an edge for us, um, but I, I think it really depends is, is, is content pipelines. Like how, how, did, mm. how did, you, did you build anything around, you know, recording and get, you said 12 pieces a month. That's, that's not, that's not nothing. That's quite a bit. No, I think, um, the only really like internal tech we've built is um, an internal CMS for like uploading and managing the content in our app. So like titling, log lines, tagging, what's a series. Oh, so you did build like a custom like web app for that or? Yeah, we did. It is like the most ugliest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. It's it depends like how the, you define ugly. I'm I'm hearing it now. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> sounds gorgeous. It's not yeah. even like, but even like bother with like bootstrap. It's like the yeah. buttons are just like links, you know, Fine. it's like horrible. That's what the form tag is for. It's, it's already styled. It's, it's perfect. Just like the basic HTML uh, <laughs> standard fonts. It's like a website that you would build in like computer class. It's like <laughs> uh, insanely bad, but it's, uh, it works, you know, and that is what we're looking for out of that product and you only have to be in it once a week because that's how often we like have to upload and so if you can even if it's like pretty painful if it's only a few hours a week of someone in your team's time you can probably get with that for i guess 24 months i guess you could check on me in six months and see if my team is <laughs> the other benefit to having it really thin is you can throw it away and you don't feel bad I think that's one totally. of the big things I've seen is when you overinvest in infra, like you get a men there's a mental trap that you're like, it's um uh, sunk cost fallacy. You're stuck and you feel like, ah, oh, we have to keep investing in this, right? No, for Something sure. We deal with revenue cat like trying to convince people to rip and replace and be like, I know you think it's a little but it might still be worth it, right? For you to yes. for you to get get rid of it. But but when you spend like very little time on stuff, yeah, you can just you can just tear it out and go. But it is interesting that that is one place that you did build something right because it is kind of unique to to dipsy yeah for sure but that's such a fantastic answer too because I, I mean just so many i've fallen for this trap myself and so many people i talk to in the app development space they just have this tendency to overbuild it's what we were talking about before like build revenue cat or, or build it yourself or use revenue cat and like even for internal tools like just too many people spend too much time building these sophisticated Rube Goldberg machines to support the aspects that don't need that kind of, it's like, it's, it's people with hammers running around looking for nails. And I think too many kind of engineering driven companies just way over invest in those kind of things. It just don't matter. And I, and, I, and so I think it's such a fantastic answer. How, and, and then just hearing your perspective and, and I don't know if, if your background in economics and, finance or just the way you think brought you to this place. But I, you just don't hear a lot of CTOs with that perspective. Like so many mm -hmm. CTOs, engineers just want to build things and, and, and don't have that kind of pragmatism of like what we need to focus on building is those differentiating factors. We need to focus on the product and like, who cares if they're just HTML buttons on our CMS that we interact with once a week? Like, like so many tech companies would just, would, benefit tremendous billions <laughs> yeah. of dollars of value well, to be created. I, assure, I assure 
assure you there is definitely <laughs> some people on my team who have pushed back on some of those decisions. That <laughs> <That's I've given. laughs> it, means you're, it means you're hiring well, right? <laughs> They're there pushing is, back. You're like, no, I think we really do need to have testing. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, like, <laughs> I think there's like, uh, I, I think that for me, like I really got into engineering like not out of some like deep passion for engineering. I guess that's like probably like not cool to say in tech, but like, I really wanted just to solve problems and empower myself to do what I wanted to do. Um, and it, this, that's what it did for me. Like, I think I got into coding, I guess, originally when I was at Bridgewater because I was into research. Uh, and because when you're doing like kind of hardcore research, like you're writing code, that's that's what you're doing. And so I got more and more into that. And I was like, Hey, actually, if I really care about like building this tool set, I probably shouldn't be at a hedge fund. I should probably be around people who code and know what they're doing. <laughs> so that's what they're doing in terms of technology. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And so I think at the beginning, like the reason I wanted how to code, the reason I went to the path I went down is so I could start my own company, whatever that was, you know, and the, the, the idea of Dipsy is pretty far afield from what I thought I was going to be doing five or 10 years ago. But coding allowed me to do that, to actualize this dream, to create this company. I don't have any like particular like passion for JavaScript uh, <laughs> that drives me, that pulls me in. It doesn't um, have to be really... a positive passion to still be a passion. No, exactly. I mean, <laughs> a hate, a frenemy relationship. Um, but I, for me, it's just like the reason when I like can't stop coding, can't stop building is when it's like, we want to got to get this feature out. We got to get this fixed yeah. out. Like I'm compelled to build a product that I think actually makes a difference in people's lives. For the users, right? Yeah. But I think balancing that across my team would be like, no, 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 we really have to like, <laughs> care about this a little bit is also pretty strong. That's what I was going to ask next. Like, how have you going from the two of you, just like getting the first prototype out, how have you scaled out the team engineering wise and, and otherwise? Yeah. So, um, actually my first boss, my former CTO, uh, now works at Dipsy. And so he's kind of like my tech passion, uh, counterpart here. And we'll be like, no, we really do have to have a development system. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> um, we really do need to retro every two weeks. Uh, so uh, we've been like, I guess working on now for many, many years and he is just absolutely the best Dan Melton plug. And so I think it's a matter of both like aligning with people who you know, have different strengths to you. It's probably true of engineering, but also just across the board and company building. Um, and again, that sounds trite, but it's like very true, especially in our space. It's people who like actually really care about the product and who actually share your, even though like, you know, come down on certain decisions differently, but do care about the product and getting it out and give it to people because they love it. and think it's like a good thing that we're doing in the world. That's that's huge. Um, being proud to work at Dipsy, I think, is really important. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, with especially with the products, like very different than than I think most things. If you go on Angel List and look at the jobs, it's, it's gonna be one that stands. I have to imagine people are very like mission driven and excited to work on it. Yeah. As you're growing the team, how are you thinking about okay? How, this is how many folks we need on engineering, but as, as with all consumer apps to get to scale, it's a lot of like marketing and automated marketing and and growth stuff. How are you thinking about those different functions? I guess right now about, you know, roughly half our team is just making content um, and half our team is like tech product ops, whatever it is. Um, we've leveraged a lot of like consultants on the growth side and it's only possible we have like a really senior, awesome head of growth who like knows how to run it. Um, but yeah, you're doing a lot. I think especially because we're also doing all of our own content from scratch. Um, that's always been really challenging for us. And we sort of built a team where really things were like on fire, like we can't get out, we, get out. <laughs> we should probably hire someone. I think, uh, like beyond that, just, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a great answer to that, I guess, but <laughs> looking, it's like, there's needs that pro 
come up, you can solve some of them with money, some of them with people, and like you're yeah. constantly building and you have some KPI you're trying to hit. And like along the way, we've gotten to this balance of headcount uh, is probably the most honest answer to that question. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess this is somewhat related. I was going to ask like, so at this stage, you've been in market for a little bit, you're, you, you've got some feedback, like what's next? Like what's your big focus right now um, in growing the, the, the product and the, the company? Yeah. So I think a couple like, you know, Q4, we launched a lot of new stuff. We really, um, we really started in this like certain corner of like short, sexy audio stories. Cause it was like a really effective way to meet the use case it was differentiated. We could make it really, really well. And what we've like grown from there is like other ways into that content, leveraging that character universe, that like love that our users have for Freddie and Mark and Ari and Emma, uh, and to other products that really work for them as well. Um, one of those being wellness, uh, basically how can we take this like really narrative approach and make it also a little more closely like self-improvement, how to educational. Um, and then beyond that sleep, like pleasure and rest are really connected for people, both like hormonally um, and scientifically and psychologically, but also in terms of like time of day, like people come to Dipsy when they can't sleep. Uh, and so we've also sort of taken this original product and sort of like grown it across their use cases that like really work for people. And they, I think over the course, like last two years of Dipsy, it's gone from like, wow, what a cool idea. I love this exists to, oh my God, I love the product. Like, oh my God, Freddie is my boyfriend. <laughs> and so- <laughs> The evolution has been really, really exciting and really it's, you know, a constant conversation with the customer or their own intuition to figure out like what products to build next. Sometimes you can get lost in this middle. There's, you're pricing this right now where you have so many things you could do, right? You could go build a sleep product, sleep tracking. Like you could go down that whole path. You right. could, you could go big on the marketing and just focus on growth right now. And I think one of the challenges and I don't, I'm not sure I'm leading up to a question here, but I think this, <laughs> a lot of probably a lot of probably of our listeners in this phase like feel is like yeah there there are a lot of different paths you can go down and kind of things you can like you can push you can choose to focus on a metric and really push retention you or uh, sorry re- revenue you can choose to focus on um, expanding your footprint and I think it it's just a challenge to yeah make sure you don't overextend yourselves right but I will say that the one thing that I think you agree with is like you just got to talk to your users. Just talk to your, talk to the person yeah. who thinks Freddie is their boyfriend. That's probably a really important profile for you, right? Oh, totally. And I think uh, we do that a lot. Um, and our users love to talk to us, which is really awesome. We have really engaged users who talk about us, want to talk to us. We've done like longitudinal studies where we texted them for a month and like hear what we're listening and how they oh, pick, which wow. has been really interesting. But yeah, I think it's like, I agree. They have a lot of great ideas and that combined with whatever your ideas are, it's probably somewhere where you should be building some mix of those things together. Uh, and like, also, I mean, like you can launch stuff doesn't work and just launch something else. I think part of that is like, yeah, there's definitely things we've tried that didn't really stick. All right, that's fine. Launch took less than a month, like move on. A combination of iteration there also is pretty crucial. So uh, my la- my last question I'll ask, I, I, I assume... Uh, well, I won't assume anything, but like, (laughs) so what's, so what's the, what's the future for Dipsy? Where, where do you go? Like, how does, how does it go? Cause I imagine like the, the, this is probably the beginning, but if we watched some of these other brands you referenced at the beginning, they, they tend to go bigger. Uh, what's the future for, for Dipsy look like? Yeah, I think we're on the way to our becoming kind of like her one-stop destination for sexual self-care. I think what that means is really broad. I think right now what it means is already broader than it was two years ago. It's like short, sexy audio stories. It's wellness and sleep. But beyond that, it's a community. Can people talk to each other? Like, can we grow that um, written content? And then I guess eventually I think the future of Dipsy is like really in the characters we're developing in that content um, and how these characters can live like within Dipsy, beyond Dipsy. Um 
and sort of like grow the, I don't know, Disney of sexy stuff uh, <laughs> further, I think it could be really exciting future for us. That's really great. It's been so fun talking to you. I, we didn't even get through half of the notes we had to, <laughs> to talk about, but I do want to be respectful of your time. I know it's all these fun downtime alert questions. We really could have done some, <laughs> some war stories. Well, yeah, I, I will have you on again in two years and you'll have even better ones. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, you. even bigger, even bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. But I did want it to wrap up and just let people know where to find you online. If there's anything you want to say, we'll, we'll have links to uh, your Twitter account, of course, dipsystories.com. Uh, we'll put a link to the App Store uh, app in, in the show notes. But uh, anything else you want to mention as we wrap up? No, I think that's that's good. You find me out there on the internet, you know, where I live now. Are you hiring for any specific roles right now or anything? Hiring a graphic designer. So I'm not sure how much the overlap overlap of graphic designer and you are. Somebody might know. Hiring for a graphic designer, it's post on Angel List or just DM me on Twitter. I, I and and with the Dipsy brand, I think that's a really interesting opportunity. Oh, I yeah. think I think your visual. I brand, think our brand is amazing. So I agree. I think it's one of the best. So just throwing that, just a little pandering at the end. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We would love to have you back uh, as you're further along in your journey. Uh, but it's been fascinating talking. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Faye. Yeah, totally. Thank you. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.